Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 through 23. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, even before his birth. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Silence is a powerful force. Actors and orators learn to master the pregnant pause. Musicians learn to value the silence between the notes. The great Dizzy Gillespie once said, it's taken me most of my life to know which notes not to play. In relationships, silence can be an indicator of comfort and security. Sometimes we say the people who know and love us best are the ones that we can sit with in silence without feeling uncomfortable. On the flip side, when we impose silence on a relationship, it can become a virtual weapon, skillfully inflicting pain on a loved one who longs for some form of communication. 
Silence is a powerful force. In a community, silence has power when some people are prevented from speaking. This week, museum curator and writer Heath Hardage Lee spoke at the church about the wives who worked tirelessly to bring their prisoner of war husbands home from Vietnam. Initially, the government's policy regarding the POWs was called the Keep Quiet Policy. Not only did the government hide the news of the POWs from the American public, they tried to impose silence on the POW wives as well. Fortunately, these women refused to be silenced, and this refusal ultimately led to the release of their loved ones from prisoner of war camps. Silence is a powerful force. Silence can also be used as a tool against leaders. After the Valentine's Day shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida, Emma Gonzalez gave two speeches that went viral. The first was a tearful, impassioned eulogy of her classmates who died in the shooting. The second was what she didn't say in a speech at the March for Our Lives rally in Washington, D.C. a month after the shooting, In the middle of her six-minute and 20-second speech, she went silent for four minutes and 26 seconds, an eternity in a speech. When she broke her silence, she explained, this was how long it took for her 17 classmates to be killed. Her silence spoke volumes. Silence is a powerful force. Unleashing the power of silence can be a choice that we make. We set aside time for silent meditation. We use silence for dramatic effect. We employ silence as a weapon to hurt someone we love. But the power of silence can also be imposed upon us. We lose our voice and have to find another way to communicate. Or our voice can be silenced by bigotry, violence, sexism, prejudice. Silence can overwhelm us after a loved one dies, when we are robbed of someone with whom we made daily conversation. Or silence can create distance as we wait for communication from someone we haven't heard from in years, wondering how to break the silence between us. Silence is a powerful force. The author of the Gospel of Luke begins his account of Jesus' life and ministry not with the story of Jesus' birth or of John the Baptist's fiery preaching like the other Gospels. Instead, Luke tells the story of how John the Baptist came to be. And it is a story in which silence plays a pivotal role. At the beginning of the story, we meet Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, an elderly couple who have never had children and who no longer have any hope for a child because they are past the age of childbearing, not to mention child-rearing. There was probably some measure of silence in their home, but their lives are full. Zechariah is an important man. He is a priest. 
And when we meet him, he has received an important assignment. He is randomly chosen to enter the innermost sanctuary of the Jerusalem temple and burn incense on the altar while people pray outside. This role is so important because the smoke from the incense is believed to carry the people's prayers directly to God. Once the task is done, Zechariah will leave the inner sanctuary and speak a word of blessing to the people. It's a a once-in-a-lifetime assignment. No priest gets to do it twice. Many never do it at all. It is as close as one can get to God, or so Zechariah might have thought. When he enters that inner sanctum, the last thing he expects is to encounter an angel who not only speaks to Zechariah, but declares that he and Elizabeth are going to have a child. And not just any child, one who will bring joy and gladness to their lives and who will prepare God's people for the coming of the promised Messiah. Now, Zechariah's response to this announcement seems to me utterly rational. How will I know this is so? I don't hear that as questioning the news, just maybe hoping for a few additional details. After all, he's got to go home and tell this to Elizabeth. Apparently, though, that's the wrong thing to say to the angel Gabriel, because from that moment, for the entire nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Zechariah is silenced. He cannot speak. I think it seems a little petty of the angel to inflict such a drastic punishment. After all, in the next chapter, when Mary gets similar news from Gabriel, she asks pretty much the same question. How can this be? She doesn't get punished for it. Instead, as we'll hear in a couple of weeks, Mary finds her voice. But apparently Gabriel has different plans for Zechariah. Poor Zechariah. Emerging from the inner sanctum, a crowd of people waiting for him to pronounce a blessing. This should be the greatest moment of his professional life. And all he can do is frantically pantomime what has just happened. Can you imagine the arm waving, the pointing, maybe drawing a picture of a big angel or gesturing at Elizabeth's belly and showing that it's going to grow bigger, that cannot have gone well for him. (laughs) I can imagine that after a few moments of Zechariah's game of charades, people exchanged concerned looks and then slowly began to drift out of the temple, shaking their heads because Zechariah has clearly lost not just his voice, but his mind. The responsibility was just too much for him. Gradually, everyone drifts away until the only people left are Zechariah and Elizabeth, with Zechariah's silence heavy between them. Silence, after all, is a powerful force, a force Zechariah will have to contend with for nine long months. For nine months, Zechariah can't speak. And when we can't speak, there's really only one other option. We learn to listen. 
to listen without trying to figure out what we're going to say in response. To listen with undivided attention and our whole hearts. To listen with minds open enough that what we hear might actually change us. I can imagine that each one of us has at least one person in our lives or in the world on whom we might like to impose a few months of silence so that they would learn to listen better. On the flip side, each one of us surely has someone in our lives who wishes we were better listeners. Imagine nine months with the people you love most without being able to speak a word. Richard Foster, who has written about spiritual disciplines, writes this about the danger of words. A frantic stream of words flows from us in an attempt to straighten others out. We want so desperately for them to agree with us to see things our way. We evaluate people, judge people, condemn people. We devour people with our words. During his nine months of forced silence, Zechariah has no choice but to stop devouring people with his words, his opinions, his agendas. What might he have learned in that season about his wife and his family, about his neighbors, about his community, about the pain of the world? In silence, day after day, what might he learn about himself and about his God? Maybe the angel Gabriel knows exactly what he's doing when he takes away Zechariah's voice and thrusts him into a season of silence. We think Zechariah's silence is a punishment But what if it is, in fact, a holy gift? For nine months, Zechariah, who is accustomed to being in a position of power and authority in his community, cannot talk, which means he must listen in a whole new way. Listen to his spouse, his neighbors, listen for God. And this nine-month lesson in listening will turn out to be important because when Zechariah's long-awaited son, John, is born, John will have a lot to say. What John says won't be easy to hear, for he not only announces the coming of the Messiah, he tells the people that in order to receive this Messiah in their lives and into their hearts, they must first repent, come clean about all the ways they've turned away from God and one another, all the ways they have perpetuated injustice, all the ways they put their needs before those of others, all the damage they have done with words. What if nine months of learning to listen is what allows Zechariah to hear what his son, John the Baptist, has to say? It is completely understandable these days that we might find ourselves dismayed 
by what is happening in the world around us, persistent injustice and oppression, partisan posturing, political polarization, environmental degradation, perpetual division. Maybe that's why during this season we push aside our doubts and fears and worries and fill our lives with relentless, noisy activity, buying and decorating, shopping and baking, bargain hunting and caroling. Maybe the reason our culture has turned Christmas into a season of frantic activity is because we are collectively terrified that the real reason for this holiday has no impact on our world at all. No ability to bring the peace and justice for which we all long. We fill these days with noise because we fear that if we are silent, we will discover that God is silent too. But what if Luke is inviting us to take Zechariah's example and seek silence during this season so that we can learn to listen better to one another and to God? What if we as individuals and communities become oases of silence, islands of stillness and quiet? Maybe these next few weeks are the perfect time for us to claim the angel's gift of silence, for us to stop talking so much, stop trying to explain our agendas and defend our positions, to do a little less so that we can come before the mystery of God and see what silence might teach us. What if our willingness to be silent and listen is one way we can recognize and participate in all the ways God is at work healing and repairing the world. Cultivating silence doesn't mean we have to stop talking altogether. That would be awkward. But we could talk less. We could post less. We could text less. We could turn off the music or the television, or the talk radio, or the podcast. We could identify someone in our lives that, come to think of it, we haven't listened to all that well lately, and find ways during this season to listen better, without judgment or problem-solving. Just listen to the people we love, to the people God loves, And we can listen for God. Just a few minutes each day. Sit, pray, meditate, walk, be silent. Because silence is a powerful force. And if we take the time for it, who knows what or who we might hear.